When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, my friends. I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hempresent. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hempresent, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. Joy Hollingsworth, who recently announced her candidacy for Seattle City Council, is a former American basketball player and coach. She played basketball at the college level for the University of San Francisco and then later at the University of Arizona and was an assistant coach at Seattle University. Hollingsworth is now part of her family's marijuana business, and she runs the Hollingsworth Hemp Company, which is based in Washington State. And I have her with me today to tell us all about it. Welcome, Joy, to Cannabis Radio. Hi, Vivian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. You have achieved a lot in a relatively short amount of time in that you are still a fairly young person. Uh, I want to get into your hemp business and your candidacy for Seattle City Council. But you played college basketball and you were a coach as well. In addition to earning a Bachelor of Arts from University of Arizona, you also earned a master's in education in intercollegiate athletics leadership, and you went on to write for ESPN, the magazine. Can you just talk a little bit about your time playing sports? That must have been a very exciting time for you. Super fun. I actually had uh, golf clubs at the age of five, so my dad started me out as golf. Uh, he was really good friends with Fred Couples, who's a Seattle native, and so we grew up watching Fred play, going to his golf tournaments and, and different events that he had, but I was always a basketball player. And so, um, played at Seattle prep, had a great career, um, was able to go to San Francisco, uh, university of San Francisco and transferred to Arizona. And that took me overseas to Greece and basketball provided a lot of opportunities for me, um, a paycheck, college basketball coaching, full ride scholarship, and then traveling all over the world. It, it was amazing. And I imagine that, that, you know, you develop discipline and structure that you could carry over into your business life, right? Competition. Uh, right. Uh, you also had time management, sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. You know, you had all these different things that transferable skills that businesses now. Focus under pressure. You, you went from coaching basketball to being a licensed cannabis producer and entering the cannabis industry originally with your entire family. Um, your business, the Hollingsworth Hemp Company, operating since 2019, is located here in Washington State. That, that's really a big transition. How did that all happen? What was the catalyst that brought you to such a big career change? Yeah, isn't that wild? I think it was more so my brother had an idea back in 2012. He sat the family down. If you remember in 2012, I-502 was passed. That's cannabis legalization. Uh, gay marriage passed. And also Barack Obama was reelected. So you can imagine the amount of energy that was on Capitol Hill that night where we spent 
the night dancing in the street with everyone. Me too. And, right? You remember that? And yeah, yeah. He, he sat us down and said, hey, he had this idea. I could see it in his eyes that he's really serious about it. And I knew it was a game changer when my dad decided to quit his job and pour his retirement into the business. And I knew I had to step up as one of the family members and be able to help. I had already had over 20 years of cannabis activism uh, under my belt when that all happened that night. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, being the director of Seattle Hemp Fest for so many years. And we had actually, a, we did a big smoke-in at Seattle Center. We had, we had like a permitted smoke-in with, you know, big canopy tents and, and, you know, a couple hundred people and stuff. It was wild. Um, your grandmother was even involved in your family's cannabis operation. Did, did your family's attitudes about cannabis go through an evolution or did you already have an awareness about cannabis and hemp? Uh, how did that all happen? Well, we did, you know, uh, obviously the hemp fest is a staple uh, in our community and you've been doing it for years. You're one of the pioneers of, of the movement of hemp, of cannabis in, in our community. And so we would go to the hemp fest and, you know, <laughs> see people connect. It was like this amazing community. Right. Yeah. And so that had been for a couple of years, we've been doing that. And then uh, my brother, um, it never changed only because we had been exposed to it on the medical side. My mother has scoliosis. So she uses, she'd been using cannabis medically for a long time to help alleviate a lot of her chronic pain. And then my uncle became paraplegic um, back in 2011 and, or excuse me, 2009. Uh, he had a surgery, a botched surgery at Swedish hospital and he became paralyzed from the neck down and cannabis helped replace five prescription drugs. So we had been around it medically wise. Um, it didn't change our family. We had always been connected to it. Tell us about your family's cannabis farm. What does it look like? What happens there? Uh, what kind of cannabis did your family grow? Uh, could you describe the operation a little bit to us? Absolutely. We are on the Olympic Peninsula. So we're in the beautiful city of Shelton, Washington, which is in Mason County. We are on six acres of land, but we only have one acre that is cleared out. The rest of the land is raw land. Uh, so we're 30,000 square feet. We have greenhouses. Uh, so we grow with uh, solar power production. Um, we also have our own well, so we use our water from our well as well. We return more water to the aquifer because we have this unique draining system that goes outside um, the greenhouses, goes alongside, and then filters out into the, the side where we have a moat um, for the water, drainage water, kind of like a French drain. Um, and so we produce uh, pre-rolls, flour. We have a bunch of different products um, that we produce at our farm. Um, we're really proud of our farm just because we do light depth as well. And we are currently in about 20 stores, um, which is pretty small compared to the 500 plus stores that are in the state. But um, those 20 to 25 stores that we're in, um, you know, we're, we're really committed to quality. We're committed to customer service. We're committed to making sure that we stay on people's shelves. And so that's why we've chose a smaller amount to make sure that we're consistent with the product. Wow. That's, that's really exciting. Uh, and it's really cool that you're, you're solar because we know what a carbon footprint uh, some cannabis operations have, uh, you know, indoor cultivation and stuff. Um, I, I want to, at this, we're going to have a break coming up here in just a couple minutes. And I want to get into your personal uh, hemp company, Hollingsworth hemp company. 
Um, but there are not a lot of family-owned cannabis operations in our state. There are even fewer minority-owned hemp farms, cannabis operations, um, because the cannabis industry, like many industries in America, are disproportionately, uh, is disproportionately white. And there's a lot of talk about social equity in the industry, but a lot of my friends believe that those efforts to level the field with social equity uh, components are often falling short, which is a real problem because communities of color have been historically disproportionately targeted and incarcerated by the policies of prohibition, despite the fact that, that people of color use cannabis at kind of the same rate that white people do. I'm just curious, you know, what is the experience of operating a minority-owned cannabis hemp operation been for you and your family? Have there been any instances where you felt that your being a Black-owned business has been any kind of a factor? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think it's it's no different than us navigating uh, Washington State, you know, and navigating everyday life. Um, it's always right. in the back of our mind about, um, it's always in the back of our mind about the people that look like us have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And a lot of people that are in the industry do not look like us. Um, and so trying to be on the forefront of a lot of social equity efforts, whether it's House Bill 2870, whether it's the community reinvestment bill to restorative justice, to you know use cannabis tax dollars to repair some of those harms, we're always trying to use our platform for that. Um, equity was not at the beginning of people's mind back in 2870. And so now we're on the tail end of it. We've seen other states and cities included in their recreational cannabis laws from the beginning. And so we're hoping that people understand that Washington didn't center that and that they can not follow in our footsteps on that area and they can not make the same mistakes um, because now we're trying to play catch up. And it's, and it's really, really hard, Vivian. It's really hard. You know, I have thought for a long time that us uh, community-based organizers and activists, you know, we were able to push the ball, the, the ball, the envelope really far, and we got things to a certain point, and there's a, a limit to what we can do. And I felt for a long time that, that people that run cannabis businesses of all kinds they're like the next level of activism. They're like economic advocates and activists. They're they're doing the the normalization work and the and and you know creating revenue and which has got a power in this society stronger than anything, of course. Um, and I've always felt like that was the next level. And 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 you folks are really kind of thought leaders and ambassadors for your community. Um, do you ever get any feedback like that? Yeah, a little bit. You know, you get that because you are one of the few that have walked through the door. Um, one of the farms that are black led uh, farms. But we also that's kind of in our our bloodline, you know, with my grandmother being a civil rights activist and understanding mm -hmm. that if you're the one of the first people to walk through that door, it's your response. It's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. It's not just about you getting it, getting in the door and shutting it behind you. And so I think Store owners also have a responsibility as well. Um, and, uh, you know, to obviously ensure that it's an equitable um, industry. But thinking about outside the box, not just on the ownership level, how many vendors are they working with that are more minority owned? Not from what's on their shelves, but, you know, other things they might be uh, using from, from insurance to, um, you know, security. What does that look like? Then what is their staff made up of? You know, right. and are they right. putting people that are um, minorities in certain positions to be successful on manager levels. I think that's important as well. 
I'm talking to Joy Hollingsworth. We're going to take a quick break and come back for our second segment. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back on Hemp Present with Joy Hollingsworth of the Hollingsworth Hemp Company. Uh, Joy, tell us about the Hollingsworth Hemp Company. Tell us everything about it. Absolutely. So back in 2019, I think everyone remembers the um, uh, number 45 who was in the White House. He signed the hemp bill back in December, and that caused this explosion of hemp companies that were doing CBD and CBN and all these different things. And we thought that instead of us focusing on just CBD, we knew about the hemp plant being this holistic approach of hemp seed oil, CBD products, but also, you have hempcrete, hemp fibers. There's people that make uh, hemp butter and hemp. You can make hemp into so many different things, and it's super sustainable. And so we wanted to create this hemp company that encompasses all the things that had to be uh, with the plant. And so what we did was uh, we started a company. It just started on two products, our flagship salve that we made for my uncle and my um, grandmother, and then we also started branching out into lotions, into soaps, into shampoos, anything you can infuse hemp seed oil with. And as a result, the hard work is we actually are in all of 16 stores of PCC and we make their private label lotion for them of five different scents. And we launched that back in December. So uh, it's been two months of amazingness working with PCC and it just shows you how long and how far the hemp company has come to be accepted by people. And and for listeners that are state, PCC is Puget Consumer Cooperative, which is kind of the, the chain of uh, healthy food stores that we have here in, in Washington State or in Seattle, King County. Um, that's that's just really impressive. Uh, there, there, there's an ever-changing smorgasbord of rules and regulations from the federal down to the local level concerning legal cannabis businesses, hemp production, all of the above, with some producers and retailers saying that it's hard to make a profit while and staying on top of all those requirements. Do you have any thoughts on that? And what has you and your family's experience been? Yeah, it's really hard. You know, the industry is not um, vertically integrated on that level. And so it's really difficult um, if you're a producer processor, you know, you only have a limited amount of stores you can sell to. And then I know if you're a retailer, your margins are slim as well. A lot of overhead. It's very costly. That's been a big challenge for Washington State. I think the one thing that we've been able to navigate is because we own our land, we're able to take certain hits and navigate certain waves that maybe other people uh, could not, right, or sustain some type of significant issues that are gone on in the market, whether it goes low, the price of cannabis goes really low, or if it's, you know, um, it bottomed out. Anything we're able to ride the the wave. And I think that's been that's been probably our secret sauce is owning our land. Wow, that's yes, you you guys have gone about this, you know, really intelligently. I mean, you must have done a lot of you must have like really researched uh, the, the issue. What was that process like? Yeah, real funny. My brother looked on Craigslist and <laughs> saw that there was land. He knew he didn't want to go north. He said, okay, I want to go south. And at the time he found some land in Mason County. Uh, they were really, Mason County was real, and the city of Shelton was really open to cannabis because they were losing jobs with their biggest employer, which was their, um, can't remember the name, but it was a wood manufacturer. So they would do all the logging and wood. And right Right a year after we were established, Simpson Lumber came to me. They uh, lost 600 jobs. 
that were in the city of Shelton. That's a lot of jobs. And then the ripple effect of that, uh, Simpson Lumber closing down, uh, they moved elsewhere. I think they moved to California. And so it's not only 600 jobs, it's the restaurants that are down there. It's hustling and bustling. So Mason County was really open to cannabis businesses. Um, and so, you know, we got kind of, it was a little bit of luck. Okay. But a little bit of foresight into finding land that was affordable that we could that that we could afford at the time. Well, and so you're you're supplying jobs in the community. Absolutely, supplying jobs. Um, we have a great staff. It's small. It's not our family. We relied heavily on friends and family for the first couple years, but now we have a great staff. Um, they actually live. They actually do salal in the summer, or excuse me, in the sometime in the winter. But then they also come back to our farm. Uh, in the spring and summer. So we have a really, really great team. That's really exciting. Uh, Joy, this year you announced that you'd be running for Seattle City Council, vying for the District 3 seat held by Shama Sawant, who is an outspoken socialist and a vocal advocate for the working class and who is not running for re-election. Uh, can you talk about your decision to run and what your vision is for a city council position? Should you win? What issues motivate you to run for office here in the city? Yeah, absolutely. You know, living 38 years in District 3, which is Central District, Madison Park, Madison Valley, Capitol Hill, it, it it's so many different neighborhoods in Seattle. But living here uh, for 38 years, I've seen how different policies have affected our neighborhoods for good and also for, you know, needs for improvement. And so people run when they feel there's an unmet need uh, within their uh, district or within their city. And the unmet need that I'm trying to tackle is for us to reprioritize some local issues that we have here going on within the district from public safety and community safety to um, nurturing our small businesses that have nurtured us for so long, uh, engaging with youth, ensuring that we have youth engagement after school programs and you know arts and culture. Um, also, our affordable housing issues that we have here, we see a lot of bills at the state level and other that are coming down as well to be able to tackle some of these issues. Uh, people that are experiencing homelessness as well. Yeah, there's, um, there's been there's been great gentrification in that district. For right? sure. And I'm, I'm still I live in my grandmother's home. I'm I'm a third generation Seattleite. We turned our grandma's house into a triplex. So it's affordable for us. And I'm a renter to my family. Um, my dad, and my aunt own this house now since my grandma passed and I'm a renter. I wouldn't be able to live in the district if I didn't have this house. Um, so we have a lot of issues that we have here, but I think the biggest thing that I'm trying to do is unify all voices with the optimistic outlook. Well, that's, that's, that's really exciting. Um, uh, I, I don't know who you're running against. Um, but I do know that that my friends in the cannabis community are probably going to be very excited because um, I don't recall ever having anybody run for city council position or city government that I'm aware of who operated cannabis business in this area. <laughs> um, that's, that's just like really exciting, you know, and the name, <laughs> the name of this show is hemp present, right. And you're hemp presenting man. And uh, so that's, 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 that's pretty cool. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. We're, we're going to try to do our best. I have so much to offer outside of cannabis and hemp. It's a knowledge base that I have, but it's also a business aspect, right? Yeah. Running a business is really, really hard, but I have so many different avenues to bring over my course of my life. I'm excited for, to amplify the community's voice. Um, 
how can I ask this? Shama Sawant, you know, uh, I mentioned she's a, a outspoken socialist. She's very aggressive. I mean, she is not afraid to take a stand. She's been like, uh, like sandpaper, I think, uh, against some of the other city council members with her kind of bombastic style. Um, but she's, you know, big champion of the working class. Um, what would you, what would you say to her supporters who feel so important about those kind of issues? Um, why, why would they want to vote for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think council member Sawant has been uh, a fighter for the, the, the working class, right? You saw $15 minimum wage. We know that she amplified about the, um, renter rights and, you know, the, the housing crisis that's going on here in Seattle. I think um, what's important uh, to know about me is that, and also council member Sawant has been on the council for 10 years. That's a long time. And so I think what people um, with what they would be getting with me is someone who's accessible. You know, I remember when Sam Smith was on the council, I don't remember, but my grandmother used to tell me, and I remember pictures looking at him, uh, he used to answer his own phone. He was the first black um, council member in Seattle. And so having that accessibility, having that ear, being in the community, connecting with community, focusing on local issues, understanding that, you know, we're not going to do this fighting one side or the other. We have to really all come together. And I'm really, really good at bridging gaps, finding the commonality between people and getting stuff done and having tangible goals to move towards keeping my head down and just working really, really hard and having a sense of urgency, Vivian. I played basketball. I know what sports is. You know, you have to have a sense of urgency and competitiveness. And I'm going to win the District 3 chess uh, flag like I have my whole life. That is really exciting. I have a sense of urgency to bring us to the next break, and then we're going to come back with our final segment with Joy Hollingsworth. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back for the final segment with Joy Hollingsworth. Um, Joy, that's that's just really exciting. Your candidacy, candidacy um, is, is I'm, I'm personally excited, even though I live in a different district here in Seattle. Um, are there any changes to Seattle's cannabis ordinances that you would like to see change or evolve, such as zoning or taxes or, or anything else? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, we always we always talk about the taxes, right? That, that'd be, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's state. <laughs> that's solidified in RCW. But I know the city has a state tax. But, you know, one of the things I'm excited about for um, the cannabis industry, particularly in Seattle, is the work the uh, FAS department, financial administrative services has been doing around like this equity piece and trying to figure out different ways where they can create an equity program within the city of Seattle um, because cities have that opportunity to create their own type of programming. I would also love to see the state come down with different license types for people to be able to engage uh, and get into the industry outside of a retail store. That would be really cool. I know stuff was talked about some consumption lounges or delivery licenses, just different types of uh, ways people can participate. And I hope the city of Seattle will embrace that. Well, yeah, you know, having an event for so many years with about 300 uh, vendors selling wares, uh, we certainly had a lot of interaction with our friends at FAS um, and, and our friends <laughs> in the city government. Um, if, if somebody was listening to our discussion and they were considering entering the cannabis industry, 
but they were just coming at it blind. What advice might you have for them? What, 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 should, they, what should they be aware of coming into the industry? And, and it's a, I know that the industry is changing. And I know a lot of people that are struggling right now. Um, what would you tell somebody that, that's thinking, well, maybe I'm going to get involved in this, this, this nascent but burgeoning industry? Yeah, I think one of the things I would tell them is I wouldn't tell them to start a business in Washington State. It's challenging here. But one of the things I also think there's a lot of opportunity here as well. Um, I would think about ancillary businesses. I know a lot of people think about, you know, I got to do retail or I got to grow or all these different things. But I see the ancillary businesses taking off significantly, whether they're technology companies, whether they are uh, different information companies. I just see that as some uh, pathways that have lower barriers to be able to get into the industry as well. Events. Um, I would tell them to really look at the industry as a whole to see where the gaps are, where they could fit in. Do you have any feel at all? Uh, our time's just starting to run short, but I'm just interested. Where do you think we are? In just to any gut feeling in terms of federal legalization? I mean, that's really the game changer, right? Imagine, imagine if the wine industry, you could only sell your wine in Washington state, you know, how crazy yeah. that would be. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, really, things are going to pop when things go federal. And it just seems like we're close to a critical mass to end the critical mess of prohibition. But we just can't seem to get over that hump or that hemp. Uh, what's your <laughs> thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's really challenging. And, and I've looked a little bit on the federal level to see what is coming down the pipeline. But we also know it has to do with, you know, lobbyists and money and how much people are getting paid. What is the tobacco industry doing? Are they setting up stuff? You know, we all know that there's a system here um, that it comes to, but I would hope within the next couple years, federally, it would be legal um, just because I think we've passed that threshold. And we also know that it's a really big economy maker uh, for taxes and revenue and job production. And I think that's one of the things that we are lacking right now uh, in the country. Um, Joy Hollingsworth, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We have uh, a little bit of time left, just about a minute and a half. How can people support your Seattle City Council candidacy? And what final thoughts would you like to leave us with? Yeah, absolutely. They can jump on our website, which is www.joyforseattle.com. It's easy, Joy for Seattle, which is me for Seattle, but also has a play on we want joy, happiness, love in Seattle. Um, and you can also follow us on all of the social media from Instagram to TikTok to Twitter, uh, all say joy for Seattle uh, is our is our handle. And then last thing I'd love to leave people with is, you know, we need to start listening for understanding. Um, and I'm hoping that we can engage in that. Uh, that's what our, our company believes at Hollingsworth Hemp Company and Cannabis Company and just wanting to listen to understand and unifying unifying everyone. So that's what I'd love to leave people with. Joy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Vivian. That concludes this installment of Hempersent on Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you got the right not to remain silent. The Hempersent theme song intro is Seven Mile Beach by Joanne Rand, and the outro music is Take Back the Plant by Stickbush. See you next week. Stay strong. Marijuana!
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.